All right, everybody, welcome back to the LNBC Students Podcast. Um, we are here, and now we've decided to call yeah. this room, because I remember at the very beginning now, we, mm-hmm. we didn't have a name for it, but now we do. And so this room, the magical room that we record these podcasts, will here now and forever be called The Pit. The Pit. So, And that stands, because we have Cameron and Samuel, you know, working here. Um, as unofficial interns. As unofficial interns. And so we, you know, coined the term pit from persons in training. Persons so in training. this is their primary workspace, so we're going to call it The Pit. You two are such a nerd. It's also <laughs> a little bit, it's still a little bit of a slight, like, why don't you guys go back to the pit? The pit. You know? Yeah, so. which just feels right. Yeah, yeah. it feels right. Um, so <laughs> I'm joined w- by Rich Lowry. How you doing, Rich? Hey, I'm not too bad. That's pretty good. That's, that's, that's so we, we were just talking about the levels of how someone is like, yeah. got bad, not too bad, then okay, then good, then great, and then, yeah. you know, so on. So, so last we talked, you were okay, so now you're just not bad, so... Your step worse. up from bad. That, that is worse. Yeah, that no, is that's worse. That's how y'all hear it. To <laughs> me, that's really good. Like, you say, Are you okay? I'm pretty okay. Like, oh. Mm. So now you're throwing pretty on there. And I don't, yeah, like I don't if, know. If I wouldn't call I Rich have pretty. Range. Range. Yeah. I am great. Yeah, so Taylor, we also have Taylor Terzik here. Taylor, you said you're great. Yeah, I'm good. Great. That's good. Fantastic. Good is not great, Taylor. You know who's good and great? God. Amen. Boom. Yeah. Segway. Segue. Oh, <laughs> no, so so last week we talked about um, Kanye and some of the things mm-hmm. that were going on with that. But one thing that I thought would be fun um, is for those listening maybe to learn a little bit more about the three of us. Yeah. And so what if we did something fun? Let's each ask a question, and then we'll answer the question, and then the other two people will answer the mm-hmm. question. Does that sound, mm-hmm. that sound good? So I'll start. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, let's let's say... Um, what is currently for both of you and myself, uh, maybe a uh, musical artist or a musical group that like you're really feeling right now? Really feeling. And that you're really go first. maybe, yeah, maybe maybe out out of the. It doesn't have to be like maybe it's like the same group that it's been for a while, but like, or maybe it's like a different one that's mm-hmm. like you're really feeling right now. Well, I'm still listening to Kanye's album. Yeah, um, and probably will be listening <laughs> yeah. a little bit more. But um, there's a band called Michigander. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I found, I stumbled across on some playlist, and then um, I've been listening to him f- quite a bit. He's a cool guy. It's just like a feel good jams. Listen to who? Michigander. Michigander. Okay, it's great. How would you describe there? Um, it's kind of like uh indie, so he's like a little off the radar, but like yeah. pop rock, like yeah. uh, r- redeeming some of the '80s instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Really catchy melodies. Just driving yeah, probably, probably a, an acu- like yeah. an electric guitar with like a chorus and a phaser yeah. on it. Yeah, it's probably just no go for me. Dude, either. I'll yeah. play you a song. You'll like it. Yeah, okay. I'm I would I would say um, I've been li- primarily listening to two things. I've discovered this one podcast, uh, not podcast, a playlist on Spotify called Reformed Worship that I've really been enjoying. Oh my it's 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 delightful. You, no, like it, Carson created this playlist. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's it's really good. It's like. It's like my kind of music, like that kind of chill kind of Bob You Coughlin. don't say. <laughs> Melancholy, kind of <laughs> acoustically <laughs> led, kind of piano driven. It's like hymns and some worship songs. Uh, that's been really good. Here's the, here's the thing. It's just He Shall Hold Me Fast. Like <laughs> 50, It's just a <laughs> 50 songs of He yeah, Shall Hold Me Fast. Different version. <laughs> so I would say that. But the group, though, like I've been really listening a lot to the Oh Hellos. Oh, recently, have love, they come out with a new album? Them. No, no, I've just been oh. listening to some of their older stuff. Oh, man. But I've just really, I don't know when the last album they came out with was. It's been a yeah, couple of years. Know. It's been a, I know it's they been were a on while. Tour they were on tour a lot, so that might be why. But um, 
but that it's just been great. Um, they have that kind of cool, like, I don't know how to describe acoustic-y, indie rock-ish kind yeah. of, you know, down in the basement kind of band. So yeah, like that's group good. vocals. Yeah, yeah, a lot, nice. of, a lot of group vocals, yeah. What about you, Rich? I would, I would have to say probably Beautiful Eulogy hmm. and uh, Timothy Brindle. Hmm. Who's Beautiful Eulogy? What is that? It's uh, hip-hop. Okay, I'm familiar band. with Brindle, but I didn't know who. That Isn't was. it made up of people? Eulogy? Yeah, it's like three guys, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. three or four. That's cool. Yeah, really good, really rich theology. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. It's like being preached to. Like, a like rap, when yeah. Rich and I get into like conversations about the Bible, often he'll bring up Timothy Brindle. Say, well, <laughs> Timothy Brindle said that in that song. <laughs> he's like, he's like about the original the theologian Hebrew. Timothy Brindle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, that's like, crazy. That's good. So he took, and it's crazy. Taylor brings him up, but he took five years of his life to go to seminary just to learn Greek and Hebrew so he could understand the Bible better. That's pretty incredible. That's great. Yeah. And then cool. he is a great rap artist. Yeah. Art. Would you call it rap or hip hop? I don't know. I'm saying genre. I think rap is a genre, but hip hop's the lifestyle. Like it's it's oh, a okay. culture. Oh, there's some. Ooh, that's a, there's that's some another, depth of experience. That's another conversation there. Yeah. That comment. <laughs> <laughs> we just touched on a very sensitive bone in Rich's body. He's like, oh, well, hip hop is sick. It's <laughs> like hip hop is no genre. Yeah. My lifestyle. <laughs> All right, here's my question. All right, go ahead. T- yeah, let's, let's good to gracious. Yeah. Oh, um, did you go first? Do you, you have to answer first? No. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. You definitely answered his question. Okay. First. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here's my question. This is the question I would have for every person if they gave me permission to ask this question. What book are you reading right now? Mm-hmm. Not the Bible, other than the Bible. Yeah, I would. I would. So You're you answered such a first. Jerk last time so i'll answer first this time mm-hmm. um i just finished um thomas schreiner's spiritual gifts yes which was really really good um and i'm now just started actually last night it's called help for the new pastor by charles malcolm wingard um so i've just read the introduction of that um it seems pretty cool so, mm. so that's what i'm in right now rich rich I don't know how to dwindle that down. Did you? Well, you're reading a lot of books. Yes, for seminary Rich is in right seminary. Now. Yeah, so he's like reading 1700 hey. things. <laughs> Come back to me. Okay, so yeah. the book, the book I'm reading, um, I'm I've been reading a lot of books on Genesis. Um, so those are a lot of my library right now. But one in particular that I really enjoy is the Beast that Crouches at the Door by Rabbi David Foreman. The beast that crouches at the door. Yeah, it's all about Genesis 4, when God's talking to Cain. He compares sin to the beast that's crouching at his door. So is it looking at other places in Scripture where, like, sin is... You know, because I remember we, Mm -hmm. with the the Bible Project, has that uh, video about sin. sin It's, like, used as, uh, like, in description, like, of, like, a beast. Yeah. Yeah. So it's looking at the fall account. And then it looks at uh, the Cain and Abel account. And then the flood, it looks at all three of those and basically is talking about what's happening there, what it means to be human. And uh, it's all from a Jewish perspective, though. And he uses a lot of Midrash and uh, the Genesis Rabbah and Talmud and things like that. To And it's just a, a different perspective because I've read all of these commentators, mm-hmm. right, from mostly conservative Christian understanding so i always really enjoy it's always inter- entertaining to read jewish interpretation that's good so. what about you rich i would have to say if i had to narrow it down to one book it would be church planning by the book by uh e elbert smith 
And it's really just looking at the first nine churches planted in the book of Acts that scripture Mm -hmm. goes into a detail with Mm. and looking at the common traits and characteristics of each church to kind of come to an understanding of what a healthy church is and does. So what was the first church planted? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Antioch. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is that where they were first called Christians? Yeah. Okay. But it, it's, it may not have been the first church planted, but it's the first church after Jerusalem that okay. the Holy Spirit's chosen to draw out details mm. about. Mm. And it's also the church that sent out Barnabas and Saul that planted all the other churches. That Yeah. Cool. That's cool. Is that a big book? It's 160 oh, pages. Those are great. Yeah. Yeah, those like 150 to 200 pages. Yeah. It's like they're thick enough to where it's like, you don't get laughed at, but then also, you know. no, dude, you get laughed at where I go to school for <laughs> two hundred page books. Yeah, in seminary, if it's not eight hundred pages, you're like, oh. But uh, man, uh. there is something to be said about a book that's like, oh, like I love little it. Little snippet ones, like I just read one by Kevin DeYoung about mm. the conscience. Um, <laughs> it's like forty five pages. It's like oh. a pamphlet. I think I read it in an afternoon. I was like, I was like, I read a book today. <laughs> I was like, look I at me. I read a book today. Yeah. yeah. All right, Rich. What, what's your question? What is one habit or practice you want to put into place by the end of mm. the year? I would definitely say I'm, um, I've been trying with all of my heart to be healthier just as an individual. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've been, um, you know, I, I did the keto diet for mm-hmm. two weeks. Um, and I've been, for the most part, able to keep the weight that I lost off. Like, I haven't been yeah. – I didn't lose that much. I only lost, like, 15 pounds. But um, – through that, I started to meal prep, and so like yeah. I do that. Um, so I've been keeping up with that. Um, but I'm, but now I like I'm, I'm seeing some positive. Like I feel a little bit better. Hmm. Um, but now my next step is I would like to start exercising. <laughs> oh gosh, like nice. I, I would love to be like like I y'all. I literally last night went to bed, and as I was laying in bed, I was like, you know, I think I should start tomorrow. I was like, I just got to do it at some point. And I was like, oh, I'm just gonna lay out some sneakers and shorts and <laughs> t-shirt. It did not happen. <laughs> My clock went off at 7.30 this morning. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> so maybe tomorrow. You know, I don't come into work until till later. So maybe maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. That's, that's true, man. Uh, yeah, I would love to get healthier. Um, my energy is just precious to me right now. So getting off caffeine and then getting into healthy, stop. <laughs> he's he's Carson's mocking me because of my personality type on the Enneagram. I'm always concerned with my resources or something, which is just so true that it's annoying. But um, <laughs> my I'm trying to get my natural rhythm of energy back, and uh, <laughs> that sounds really weird and whatnot. But spiritually, or if you can make a distinction between those things. Um, I don't think you can. You can't, but uh, kind of in terms of your question of spiritual disciplines, silence and solitude alongside of getting my energy back and whatnot has been a huge just thing for me over the past few months. And uh, with Carson and Sam, who are the leaders in training, persons in training here. You mean Cameron? What did I say? You said my name. Carson? You said, said Carson, Carson and Sam? The yeah. truth hurts. Yeah, and I was like, man. oh. I, mean, I was like, I'm still a tra- But, you know, wow. it's good. Yeah, We're always over. in training still, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, no, Carson's not. Uh, Cam and Sam, who are the persons in training, 
here. We've been going through um, how to practice silence and solitude together. And uh, we're planning on going on a retreat for like an extended silence and solitude time, like four to eight hours of silence and solitude. And uh, I'd really like to do that before 2019 and see how that goes. How about you, Rich? I would have to say silence and solitude is probably a big one for me now. Mm. Uh, trying to not so much make time for it, but pray for time for it. Mm. Just trying to uh, recharge, I think, is the right word. And not mm. so much like physically, but there's so much going on in my life right now. Spiritually, I think I need the yeah. the rest. So Yeah. That's just like, it's been resonating with me. Rest and stuff for the past year. I don't know. We've probably been talking about it. Like, um, unhurrying in life. John Mark Comer has been so formative for me in that. And also, like, Sabbath, the whole idea of Sabbath. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, real quick before we transition. um, uh, If if there was was a spiritual habit, you know, I didn't talk about that. For me, it would probably be prayer. Um, And it's probably because I was looking through quotes and I found this quote by Packer, and it kind of made me want to like throw up and then go like throw myself down the stairs um, because it, it <laughs> he, sounds awful. Oh, but in the, in the best of ways because it was so convicting. You um, are such a reform guy. <laughs> <laughs> Self mutilation and like goodness. So, vision. but he said uh, we must learn to measure ourselves not by our knowledge about God, not by our gifts and responsibilities in the church, but by how we pray and what goes on in our hearts. Many of us, I suspect, have no idea how impoverished we are at this level, and let us ask the Lord to show us. You and know, so I was like, oh. So reminds me of something yeah. McShane said, and he said, or I at least heard him say it. I don't know if he's the originator of the quote, but Robert Murray McShane said that all that a man is on his knees before God, that he is, mm. and no more. Mm. That's good. All right, so let's go ahead and. Uh, no, I'm in a bad mood, Carson. Yeah, I'm sorry, but but that was that was <laughs> no, just so convicting to me. I saw that earlier today. Yeah, we're just um, we're just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But let's go ahead and jump into our topic, of talking about um, uh, the image of God. So I'll go ahead and turn it over. Taylor, you want to go ahead and take it away? I'll, I'll introduce us because I think Rich has a lot to kind of walk us through with this one. And you're looking at me like that's not true, but it is true because uh, we've had great conversations around this topic. Um, but we walked through Genesis 1, and one thing that's really important in the first chapter of Genesis is this whole idea that mankind is created in the image of God, male and female. He created them in his image. And uh, we talked about that a little bit in the sermon in Ordered Kingdom about how that uh, situates itself in the days of creation, how mankind is the pinnacle of creation, and this is totally countercultural in their time, also countercultural for us. Uh, but um, and mankind is commissioned to be God's representation of His rule and to actually exercise dominion over creation and to create culture and and whatnot. But although that's all very important, and that's true. 
There's so much more to say about the image of God and man, especially throughout the Bible. So we just wanted to kind of hit the pause button here and talk about how important that is throughout the rest of the Bible. And if it's important to the Bible, it's probably important to understanding Jesus. So uh, we just wanted to kind of walk that path a little bit. Yeah, safe to say that. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah. let's just talk about one, because I was going to immediately in our pre-conversation talk about how Paul uses the image and how the writer of Hebrews uses the image. But Rich, you reminded me of something very important, which is, I'll let you... Yeah, um, there's a lot of typology in the Old Testament around what the image of God is. And, mm-hmm. you know, you see that with Moses on, on the mountain mediating between God and, and the Israelites. And the prophets and the priests all function as, as images of God in mm-hmm. the Old Testament. And it really ties back into, like you're saying with Genesis 1, what God created us to do. Yeah, And it's... Every Christian, anybody that's in Christ is a leader. Like, we don't get to not lead, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's given us the responsibility now in Christ to go and shape the world back into his mm-hmm. image as he reconciles all things to Christ. Mm. So I think what you're you're hitting on, which did not click for me until today, although maybe conceptually it did, was the image of God, us being the image of God, is also equated to us playing a priestly role in creation. Mm -hmm. And actually, as you look at Genesis 2, some of the imagery that's used there to speak about Adam's role in the garden is later picked up in the Old Testament to talk about and apply to the priests. Mm -hmm. And that's the only other place it's found is with priests and with Adam. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important distinction, or just a point, because... If the image of God in us is us supposed to be playing a priestly role, then yeah, we see that in Moses. He mm-hmm. is the mediator between God and the people, right? And so he is fulfilling the role of Adam in that. But also, as God gave the covenant text and initiated the covenant at Sinai, one of the big things that uh, was supposed to resonate with the people was that they were supposed to be a kingdom of Priests. Priests. So everyone in the nation of Israel was supposed to be a, have play a priestly role. In I was just thinking that's really cool because we see. So you're saying that um, the priests were, or Adam was in that role of priest. Yes. Indeed. And then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus being the better Adam. You're sk- yeah. You're skipping. Yeah, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. I'm sorry. Like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Drawing sorry. connections. Yeah. <laughs> But no, at first, what we see is the people of, of Israel playing that priestly role, yeah. right? When they're made, um, when God makes the promise to Abraham also, Abraham's supposed to be a priest. He's going to, God's going to make Abraham a blessing so that he can then be a blessing to the whole world. And the same thing with the people of Israel. He's going to bless them, build them up as a nation so that they can be a conduit of God's blessing to the whole world and play that role of priest, right? Mm. So I think that's... That's a really important... Well, another way to say that is they were to be the image of God. Yes, and I think like when we hear image of God, I think we we tend to blank out, right? Because it's such a lofty concept that the, the scriptures go out of their way to make concrete for us as, as we navigate what life is supposed to be like in Christ. Yeah. Okay, so as we continue tracing the image... <laughs> Right, you see. Okay, so how does the um, how does the nation of Israel do at representing God to 
the world. Pretty pretty bad. <laughs> they do horribly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I I I, I wish I would have brought up the passage. It's in Isaiah, but Isaiah basically criticizes Israel for for that specific purposes. You've turned all these things inward and you haven't gone outward with them. You've you know, forsaken justice and all these things. The, the whole minor prophets also bring this out too. It made me think of Amos. Yeah, yeah for sure. The and so they've they've mistaken their role as, or they've misunderstood that their role was to be a priest to all people, right? So that's what the prophets indictment. But they say there's going to come one who will be the king mm-hmm. that will bring justice to all. All nations will be gathered to mm-hmm. him. Uh, all throughout Isaiah um, and other prophetic places. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. And what are some things that we see Jesus saying about his relationship with God? He is the son of God. Okay. He is at one with God. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus doesn't say that. Paul says it about Jesus. So I don't know if I'm following your line of thought. Like well, it sounds in like John, in John eight, I do believe he says, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you've seen, you've the, seen father. the Father." But he didn't, didn't say, say, "I like am that the image of the invisible yeah, that's God." Coined by Paul. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. Paul. So I, I think you're right. Like Jesus does say, "Like if you've seen me, you've seen the Father," and I think that's a crucial hermeneutic for us as we we read through the Gospels. And and, and then you know some of the other letters. Like looking at Hebrews, mm-hmm. you know, speaking about how Jesus fulfills the role of not only priest, you yeah. know, you know, on our behalf to God, but then also he's fills that role of prophet too. Like he's speaking on behalf of God to Which is, us. Which is interesting crazy. because Taylor just was pulling from Isaiah and you brought up Amos from the minor prophets. Like every prophet that spoke in the Old Testament is a picture of what the image of God is supposed to be to the hmm. nations. Hmm. Because that is, Jesus fulfills that role, and he is the image of God. Yeah. So I think what's important is, yes, I think one way that Jesus talks about himself being the image of God, or we could put that kind of concept on top of what Jesus says mm-hmm. and make sense of it, is when he talks about his union with the Father. Yeah. That was that was whole my, my point. In John 17, we won't read the whole thing. But no, let's read the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Carson's like, oh, no, I like that one. Yeah. Or we can read the whole thing. Um, encourage you guys, if you're listening, yes, to, to go and read that. But Jesus is inviting his followers into a relationship mm. of being united with him in the same way he is united with his father. And so it's this restoration of relationship that is huge. And another way of saying that for Paul is we are restored in the image of Jesus. And in being restored in the image of Jesus, we are restored in the image of God. Amen. And I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. So uh, one way to really reinforce this for the New Testament writers is to talk about how Jesus was the image of God. Uh, Hebrews 1, I'll just pull this out. Um, he is the image of the radiance of the glory. Yeah, yeah. he is the radiance of the glory of God, verse 3 in chapter 1, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And if we follow that to the logical conclusion, and this is really why I was so excited about this topic, 
like if we're being restored to the image of God in Jesus, and, and we are, right, we would all say amen. That means that salvation cannot be abstracted from the person of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can't make mm-hmm. salvation anything other mm-hmm. than Jesus himself. Everything that we talk about, justification, sanctification, glorification, are all effects of mm-hmm. our union with Jesus, and that's our salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jesus is... Which I think gets downplayed. Oh, it is We've downplayed. We've talked about that, yeah. Yes, yeah, and I think we'll we'll follow that that train a little bit. I just want to reinforce how much the New Testament uses this language about Jesus first. Yeah. There's that Hebrews 1 passage, Colossians 1:15. Mm-hmm. He is the image of the invisible God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The firstborn of all creation. Uh, there's actually multiple images being applied to Jesus. They're the firstborn important image mm-hmm. for the people of Israel. Um, you have Romans 5, which I think is really beautiful. Yes. When, when um, Jesus is talking about, talked as the second Adam. <laughs> yes, which is so pivoting on what you're saying just slightly, and we can chase this as long as you want, Taylor. It's so crucial to understand Jesus is both God and human, mm-hmm. because if he was not human, then we're not saved, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, we're just not. And that's why the early church fathers fought so hard for the humanity of Jesus, because anything he didn't take on, he couldn't save. Mm. Mm. That's good. good. That was a good little one-liner right there. Mm. Um, Anything he did not take on, he could not save. That's That's good. good. And that's why he took on death. Totally. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. That's good, Rich. Um, And he was resurrected. Yes. So what, what we see is, Jesus is coming to fulfill the original design that God had for Adam. Yes. Which is why the image of God is taken as a concept and laced throughout Scripture because this is the original, not not simply identity, but the command and role that humanity is supposed to play, right? So a lot of us with the image of God, we apply that to maybe like... Um, personhood in terms of like we have rationale or I've heard some people say that's why we're three part being being the mm-hmm. and all of that I think fails to see what the original function of the image and I would add into that also like in the way that we treat people like people just yeah yeah like you're they're made in the image of God yeah right? they're in the yeah, yeah which is totally valid yeah oh yes absolutely absolutely but what we see is the image of God was we're gonna use our favorite word it was functional <laughs> it had a role to and play. We hadn't said it yet. Yeah, I know. We hadn't said it <laughs> no, yet. No, it definitely did. And yeah. right? I think that's one of the reasons why Genesis 1 right now has to be so teachy. Because in Genesis 1, God labors the point to repeat a few times that he made man in his image and in his mm-hmm. likeness. And Genesis 2, and I know you're going there, Taylor, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but... Adam says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, right? In that picture of marriage, Mm. which Paul picks up and applies to Jesus in the church, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's this image of God narrative in the first three chapters of Genesis that Moses is trying to get us to see and that the later biblical authors then pick up to apply to our relationship and our restoration in, Mm. in Christ. And that's why Genesis 3 is so tragic. Like when we... When we chose to sin, we chose to cast that image off. And yeah. not that we lost it, but it was marred badly. Yeah, it was marred, for sure. Yeah. So um, what we see in Jesus is 
not simply this um, identification of his personhood or something, but also what the New Testament writers are doing by saying he is the true image of God. The, in, the image of the invisible God is they're commenting on what he accomplished and what role he played for creation. And we can't, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. And just to play on that a little bit, he's the image of the invisible God, but he's made it visible. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're called to do mm-hmm. in our restored relationship with God. So in the incarnation, Jesus is the very picture of what my life is supposed to be. Yeah. And I've asked, I've said this, it's not really a question, but you guys can ponder this. And, and Taylor's heard it. One of my professors said this last summer, and it's to the degree that you allow Jesus to transform you is the degree to which you become more human. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So Jesus is our true humanity, restored as it should be, mm-hmm. the second Adam. Yeah, that's huge. So the ramifications for us in terms of seeing this, because this is a that's a global cosmic view. Yeah. Jesus is playing the role of what it means to be truly human in God's world, which I think we should start there. Oftentimes we start with what does this mean for me, mm. right? But... So what is God doing? He's restoring his whole creation through Jesus, the second Adam who was supposed to exercise dominion over creation, right? Yeah. But so what does this mean for us and for the church? Well, what the church and the people of God are, we're being made into the image of Jesus. And then what that means is we are then being commissioned back into the role we're supposed to play in creation. So like you've talked about, Rich, Salvation is not simply about justification, getting rid of our debts, right? It's commissioning us into a new role. Mm. And what is that role to play? Mm. That role... That role is to bring glory to God by introducing others to his greatness and to this reconciled state of our being before him. Mm. You know, I read a really good quote this last week that that said, I can't remember which book it was in, but um, the author said that we're not so much called out to to rescue people from hell, though it is that, mm-hmm. right? But we're called to help them be aware that they stand in the presence of greatness and that they don't know it. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if we believe what Scripture says about God being all-present, then everything we do every moment of the day, we're in His presence, and it's mm-hmm. great. And he's reconciled us to shed light back into that darkness mm. so that others might see the greatness in which they participate. Mm. Yeah. So I think that gets into why uh, it's typically called this doctrine, like the priesthood of all believers, is mm. so important. Really what the priesthood of all believers is about is not simply we all have immediate access to God, though we do, but we all have a role to play as restored image bearers being made into the image of Jesus, we are also supposed to mediate God to the world, be agents of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, right? Which actually starts to make a lot more sense of what Paul and the New Testament is doing in terms of instructing the church. And why God gets, you know, to to put it lightly, upset in the Old Testament Hmm. with Israel and their commission Hmm. to be his chosen people and his royal priesthood, right? And really, Israel is a picture of everyone. Yeah, and and yeah. so what I like to do is, is lately try to think about this concept. If, if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he is, and Paul says that, that 
it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? And it's in the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of the deity dwelled, right? The Godhead bodily. And we know that Jesus comes to live inside of us somehow when we're, when we're remade and recast in that image, right? So I want y'all to just follow me, and it may be a little confusing, so Taylor, help me draw it out. But if... if Try to help translate Rich. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Taylor, if, speak through it. If Jesus lives inside of me and it's the fullness of God, right, the hope of my glory, and I've been restored into this image, and as we read the scriptures and we notice this authority that Jesus possesses, right? Like when he calms the seas and he heals people, like that's specifically showcasing the deity and the authority of Christ. Mm. This authority now lives in me as a restored and remade image of God. Mm. And according to John, Taylor brought this up, I now have the very relationship with the Father who was invisible that Jesus enjoys. Like, I don't have a different relationship with God, and I think I'm guilty of often thinking I do. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says, I have the very relationship that he enjoys with the Father. Mm-hmm. So when I wake up, how does this apply to me? How does it apply to the church? To me, I am a remade image of God. How mm-hmm. it applies to the church. We're the visible manifestation of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ on earth today. Mm-hmm. So the image of God is his church. Mm-hmm. And that is what we have to keep in mind. And it's the church to the degree that the church looks like Jesus. Yeah. Mm, wow. And how do I get to tell him no? Yeah. Like, mm. Think about that. Like mm. if he lives inside of me and he has all this authority and he's remade me mm. and I have this wonderful relationship with the Father, how then do I say no to anything that? And I do. I mean, that's the the nature (laughs) of sin. (laughs) But, I mean, when you start digging into what the image of God is and what salvation is, like sanctification, justification, glorification, all these things that we put big fancy words on are not my salvation. So my salvation is my union with Jesus. Yeah. I think you're you're not saying that. Uh, justification, sanctification, glorification, these aren't helpful at some point, right? Mm-hmm. But I think what it, what it's done is it's taken our salvation and it's stripped it from really what it's all about. And yeah. We just spent all of, in student ministry, all of fall retreat a few weeks ago, talking about just reframing what our salvation is for. It's not simply so you get to go to heaven and enjoy mm-hmm. happiness all the time. There is something more, and if you really study the whole story of Scripture... This image of God narrative really hits it home. And it's that God is restoring you into who you were always designed to be through Jesus. And so he's going to make you more and more like Jesus so you can truly be who you are supposed to be forever. Yes. Right? And the bombshell moment happened for me reading Ephesians this summer and Mm -hmm. this fall. It says that God has always plan to reconcile all things to himself in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And Paul picks that up all over his writings. And God's plan to reconcile all things is first and foremost Jesus. Mm -hmm. But then he brings us into that. And he uses us now as the instruments to reconcile things to himself. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely still through Jesus but this image of God is now more than me behaving. 
And yeah. it's more than me reading my Bible. It's more than this is God conquering Satan and evil and all these other things through an imperfect person like me so that only he can have the glory. Mm-hmm. And I become, like Peter would say later, a partaker of the divine nature. Yeah, I don't, I'm not God. I'm not divine myself. But if I believe what Scripture says, to the degree I become more like Christ is the degree to which I become a partaker mm. in his nature. That's so good. So um, we could probably keep talking about this for a long time, but we'll, good stuff. Yeah, we'll cap it off here. This really resonates just for our personal responsibility, our corporate responsibility as the church. But it also begins with us, right? When, you know, I've, I've preached that sermon several times about bringing heaven to earth, mm-hmm. you know, having new life, being more like Jesus. That's where we kind of hang our hat after every sermon. Um, but that's a challenge for each and every one of us every single day. And the more we can remind ourselves of that and then ask everyone else to help us and encourage us in that, the more we will be who God designed us to be. I was just thinking of the corporate nature. Um, one of the points that you had at Fall Retreat was um, your relate. Help me out the, <laughs> with, with the quote specifically. But you said yeah. something like Rich's relationship with Jesus affects my relationship yeah. or something like that. Yeah. The challenge is if you don't care about the person sitting next to you becoming more like Jesus, then you really don't care about becoming more like Jesus. So if we're going to grow to be more like Jesus, we have to grow together. We have to. That's that's something that hit me the week before fall retreat sermons, like as I was doing that sermon prep. Like as someone who likes to try and handle things alone, Mm -hmm. that's just my personality type. I try to work through it. We need one another. I need other brothers and sisters in Christ challenging me to be more like Jesus. Can I leave us with a with a quote and a thought? Yes. So this comes from Marcus Peter Johnson's book, One with Christ. And he says on page uh, 52 and 53, so I kind of put two pieces together. We are saved, in other words, not because of some intrinsic merit of our faith. And we would all say amen. But because we actually become united to the object of our faith, mm-hmm. Christ himself. Mm-hmm. The insight here is purely Pauline and Johannine, that while faith is surely saving, faith is not salvation in Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ is salvation. Listen, everybody. We'll see you.